The IG says politics prevented the governor's mansion sting. Lee Fisher pulls ahead of Jennifer Bruner, and the Columbus Casino Move Plan gets its statewide vote. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, host of WOSU 820's All Sides with Ann Fisher. Joe Hallett, senior editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Bob Clegg, Republican strategist. And Marianne Sharkey, public affairs consultant. State government's watchdog says politics did play a role in scrapping a planned sting outside the governor's mansion. Inspector General Tom Charles says Public Safety Director Kathy Collins-Taylor nixed the sting to save the governor embarrassment. This is the sting where a woman was to deliver contraband to her husband, who was a prison inmate working at the mansion. The report also says the program had a lot of problems and suggested that Collins-Taylor and others tried to hinder the investigation. The matter is now in the hands of prosecutors. Joe Hallett, how bad is this going to be get for the governor? This is going to be bad, really bad for the governor. Uh, politically, it's going to damage him. Uh, it will be uh, more than a speed bump in his re-election bid. All you have to do is look at today's headline, uh, Friday's headline in the Daily News. Lies cover up contraband found during governor's mansion probe. That will end up in a 30-second spot. And uh, Republicans will will play this up. I mean, it, it's just full of one bad thing after another. The top administration officials lied under oath, including his safety uh, director, uh, Kathy Collins-Taylor, that there was obstruction of justice. Uh, there was a, a, a mewling operation run out of the governor's, or governor's mansion, uh, contraband tobacco by inmates. Um, it's uh, it's just overall bad. I don't know how uh, uh, Collins Taylor survives this. How did this? I mean, how did this get so out of control? If they had come forward right off the bat and say cooperated fully, I mean, they, they, there's the there's the sting that was scuttled, and then there's the cover up, and the cover up's always worse. Alleged cover up. They disagree with the the hindrance of the investigation claim, but well, you know, well, coming from the journalism world, when they I guess they they dumped tons of documents, including hundreds of pages of blank paper. Uh, on, on the investigators, and that doesn't put anybody in a good mood. N- not journalists, not in, you know, not the uh, inspector general's folks. Uh, and and it's uh, it does speak to a possible uh, obs. Uh, what's the word? Obs. Obstruction. Obstruction. Obstruction of justice. Yes. <laughs> the uh, no. I mean, I, I read the report, and uh, it's a it's a very well done report. It's very extensive. They interviewed, you know, forty some witnesses, four thousand some documents. There's no doubt that they conclude that uh, there was a cover up and that they were they were purposely misled. And I mean, even documents like Anne's referring to as H1N1 flyers, right. they threw into the box and gave them to their public but records why? request. The question is why? If they had just come forward and, and laid it all out for them, when you why? do a cover up, they, when you do a cover up, <laughs> you really try to cover but up. But they still, still, some still covered up. Then, well, well, it's, yeah. it's well, not clear. Well, to they me said why. they did not want to embarrass the boss. Well, is what is what the, one of the emails right, said. Right, uh, a sting at the governor's mansion where it's revealed that inmates. Are, are taking uh, tobacco or maybe worse drugs out of the governor's mansion and and uh, taking them back to prison was going to be an embarrassment for the governor. 
for the governor, but we had uh, Woodward and Bernstein in town, and you'd think that people would eventually learn that the cover-up is always worse. Right. I nope. mean, right. they were hiding uh, d drugs or tobacco in the bathroom, up, you know, in the basement. In the basement. Right. Um, now, Bob, the, the defenders of the administration and of the governor think that there's something else going on here, and perhaps one reason why the report was so extensive and so well-written and so exhaustive is because Tom Charles has it out for the administration and is biased towards the patrol of which he was a trooper. Yeah, and also his wife was up for uh, superintendent of the, or what, the chief. She applied for it. Yeah, and she didn't get it. I, f I thought when this came out that that talk from their side would start, where they would start going after Tom J Charles himself to try to, um, you know, make it look like it's really not as serious as he, he makes it to be. But, I mean, we have a situation where the governor, this is the governor's inspector general. He reappointed mm -hmm. Tom Charles. Saying he was said, fair. Said he was fair, he was a good guy, he'll do a good job. So it's his person that came out with a report that says the governor's own cabinet member has lied under oath. And this is the part I don't understand. When, when your inspector mm -hmm. general is telling you that, I don't see how you as the governor can stand there and say, I stand by that cabinet director. At that point, you've got to start saying, that cabinet director has to resign. Well, someone's another point, resigned. Another point about Tom Charles, he now has served under three governors, two Republicans and a Democrat. This man has been an equal opportunity abuser. He pulls <laughs> no punches. He goes after members of each party. So exactly. to say that uh, that he is prejudiced, I know he's close to the patrol. But what if, I, it c I mean, the other thing that is sort of underneath many of the administration's defenders' claims is that the Highway Patrol was out to embarrass the governor with this thing. If this stuff has been going on that they for don't years, like them monkeying yeah. around with the patrol. Yeah, and having yeah, civilian control there, over the It's the, the same thing as blaming Tom Charles as yeah. far as I'm concerned. No, yeah. they, they do not like politics. But, I mean, this is going to play out because there's been a referral to the Franklin County Prosecutor's Office. Tim Grintel in the State Senate is going to continue to have his hearings. And we're going to still have a confirmation hearing for, for, the, uh, new, for the new superintendent because I failed to put in the paperwork for her. Well, and the Republicans are saying today that the, that the confirmation of Collins Taylor is in trouble. Yeah, I mean, that, she, she'll have, still have to be confirmed. Well, they said it'll be fair. Yeah. But <laughs> Let's, in, the, in the politics <laughs> side of it, this will play out in the governor's race. And there was a new poll out this week that shows that Ted Strickland, a Quinnipiac University poll, shows that Ted Strickland still has a slight advantage over John Kasich, 44% to 38%. Um, granted, this happened... This came out, this was done before this all came out. How will those numbers change? I, you know, it's bad enough that he can't budge from 43-44. He's the incumbent governor, and he cannot get from that low 40s with half or over half the people not even knowing who John Kasich is. Let's get to that slide. That's a really interesting slide. The people who just aren't aware, two-thirds of the voters, really, are not aware of who John Kasich is. Total, 62% don't know enough about him to make a decision. 47% of Republicans don't know enough, 68% of independents, and 57% of white evangelicals don't know enough. Bob, what's going on there? Uh, it's been a very low-key campaign, and you know it's not going to come out. Until Even among the, the folks who are he's been out supposed town to be paying for a while, is what I would say. <laughs> yeah. But it's just you know when the, when the, when that when the people start focusing on the campaign in the fall, you know evangelicals, who do you think they're going to vote for? And that's where I think the governor's real problem is. If the governor home, was at though. over 50 percent, then maybe you could say he could survive something like this. Maybe. But when you're at only 43, 44 percent, you're not going to survive something like this.
They're going to make him into. They're going to make John Casey into Bernie Madoff by the time <coughs> they get done well, true, in the it? campaign. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. due to his uh, connections with uh, the Lehman Brothers. Both of these candidates are going to have more than enough money to be known. I mean, the governor already is known uh, by election day. Everybody will know who John Kasich is and what he's about. Uh, but this kind of, I, I won't say cancels off, but kind of offsets the whole Kasich-Lehman Brothers connection. This this scandal in the governor's residence now is is going to be a, a big a big player. I don't know if it offsets it. I mean, I really think it depends on how how they play it. But but offset a scandal in the you know the governor's mansion and cigarettes hidden in a in a basement bathroom ceiling versus you know working for Lehman Brothers. You know one of the firms you know finance firms that brought down you know the nation's uh, financial infrastructure for a few well, months. One of the, one I don't know <laughs> if those are comparable. One of the problems out there right now is people don't trust their government, and this is a trust issue. This is about uh, about obstruction of justice and about trying to save somebody's political hide. And I think that plays. Okay, let's get to our second topic. The Democrats seem to be coming home to Lee Fisher in the days before Tuesday's primary. A Quinnipiac University poll shows that Lee Fisher has pulled ahead of Jennifer Bruner by 17 percentage points as we head towards the primary in the U.S. Senate. 41% now for Lee Fisher, 24% for Jennifer Bruner. The likely reason Lee Fisher has a lot more money than Bruner and he's spending some of it to run television ads. And Fisher, is this race over? Well, I don't know if it's over. I mean, it may be a miracle, but it, it miracles do happen. Uh, through the, we know from the same poll that 34% of likely Democratic primary voters remain undecided, which I think is a very high number at this point in the game. 51% of those who do name a candidate say they could change their mind. That's really critical, too. Now, bottom line is Jennifer hasn't scraped up any more money uh, in, the, in the meantime. She's not going to be able to put anything on the air. Lee's just brought up, rolled out his second um, TV ad. It's very, you know, positive, warm all warm and fuzzy and positive and, uh, you know, jobs for Ohioans and that kind of a thing. It's right on, right on pushing all the right buttons. And uh, so short of her coming up, you know, winning the lotto and being able to buy a few TV stations, I don't see uh, how they're going to change that. Why is he doing so much better among women? She is. He, among women, he leads 43% to 24%. I found that amazing, too. Um, I was quite surprised to see that. And the, I can't really figure it out other than she's just failed to connect. It, it, it just seems surprising because normally women candidates get a 5 to 10% bump from, you know, women voters voting for women candidates. Well, I, it certainly and surprisingly, in a way, Emily's List did nothing exactly. to help the situation. Now, Emily's List, of course, is early money is like yeast, which is, you know, brings in the dough or whatever that is. They're d devoted, they're committed to electing pro-choice Democratic women to the U.S. Senate. Well, okay. And if she hadn't and had the money, this race would definitely be more right. competitive. Very much more competitive. List had come in. And I, I don't think the race is over yet, but... I mean, you have to look at the fact that Lee Fisher's been on the ballot time in and time out, and he's only up to 40-some percent. Um, do I think that, uh, you know, Jennifer doesn't have much of a shot? Yes, but, but I'd, I'm not sure the race is over. I, I think in this kind of an environment, though, we don't know. I think there's an environment that's out there that might give her a chance where in other years you would say, ah, oh, there's no way she can. I think we don't know yet. I think it depends on who shows up on, on the Democrat side. And I think the Democrats are making a mistake here if he ends up being their nominee, because I think his baggage, which Jennifer has detailed 
um, on the campaign trail. She talks about how he was director of development when they lost all hundreds of thousands of jobs. But then she even adds another twist to it, which is when we're in the depths of the recession, which was February of last year, instead of staying on the job and trying to create more jobs, he leaves for politics. And I think that is going to be a devastating hit on him come the fall. And the low voter turnout, that could be uh, filled with people who are revved up about Jennifer. We don't know. We just know that it's going to be low. Well, I I was uh, with Jennifer yesterday riding the Courage Express, her rickety old bus, and she is re- running a, a bottom-up campaign. It's, tr- it's purely grassroots. She has no other choice. But I will say that the intensity of her supporters seems to be greater than, than Lee Fisher's. They, and she appears to have a pretty good phone banking operation. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't doubt that she might actually have a better ground game than he does. But uh, the power of TV ads, I think, you know, when you put a million bucks on TV, that's, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Oh, for bad weather or good weather for Jennifer Bruno's sake? Oh, bad weather, right? <laughs> <laughs> she told me she thought there would be about a 23% turnout mm-hmm. uh, in the primary, and uh, I'm not sure who that bodes well for. But uh, maybe her because, uh, again, I think she's got more committed supporters. Okay. The down-ticket primaries on the Republican side have turned out to probably be the most interesting races of this primary season. It's the GOP establishment versus the Tea Party supporters in races for state auditor and secretary of state. Former House Speaker John Houston is a little nervous about his race with Sandra O'Brien. The angst is displayed in his TV ads with the don't tread on me flag waving. And Tea Party favorite Seth Morgan is battling former Tea Party favorite Dave Yost in the primary for auditor. Now, Bob, we could call you the establishment <laughs> consultant because you're representing Yost yeah. and Houston. Yeah. Um, first to Houston's race, uh-huh. why is this? Why is he even? He has to be a little bit nervous. Why he's running those ads? But why is he running the ads against the, an opponent that has no money? Because four years ago, that same opponent ran against the incumbent treasurer, Jeanette Bradley, who ran nothing on TV and and ended up losing to to Sandy Mm O'Brien. So, I mean, I think John is smart. Um, He saw what happened four years ago, and he wasn't going to make that same mistake. So, um, and you, you know, in politics, you gotta you gotta run scared all the time. You know, you can't run any other way. So, I, th- you know, I think I think you'll be fine. But I mean, I, it's it's like once again, I'll say there there's an environment out there that we aren't real sure what's going to happen. Who's going to turn out um, on Tuesday to vote, or who have already voted early? Uh, and and uh, I think both uh, Dave Yost and John Husted want to make sure that. They're connecting with Republican voters and telling them what they want to do in those respective offices. So that's why they're out there advertising. Well, and, and unless uh, there's a big injection of money in these down-ticket races, uh, such as Houston is making, uh, voters generally don't know these candidates. So they, they play the name game. And names with O in front of them, Irish names, <laughs> play well in this state. So, uh, so and that Cuyahoga might help, County. yeah, especially <laughs> Cuyahoga County, you know, and of course Franklin the Democrats, <laughs> the Democrats have, uh, have Mary Ellen O'Shaughnessy running uh, against the winner of this primary. So, uh, so Houston's got to run scared, even though he, he should win this pretty handily, I think. Well, I mean, four years ago, besides the loss of Jeanette Bradley, Jim Petro also lost in a primary to a more conservative opponent in Ken Blackwell. And this is before we had the Tea Party here out there 
uh, organizing. So Jeanette Bradley and Jim Petro lost in a primary. So the Republicans have definitely have to look take these this, these primaries very seriously. Yeah, you got the Tea Partiers, and then they got the people who lean Tea Partyish. <laughs> you know, you don't know how the, you know how they're going to be swayed at the last minute. We don't know if they're actually going to come out and vote. They like to go to rallies. You assume they're going to vote, but we won't know until election day. Of course, the casino is back on the ballot. The casino issue, issue number two, would move the constitutionally approved Arena District Casino to the west side of Columbus. The Columbus establishment supports it. Many businesses on the west side support it. The casino developer supports it. Marianne Sharkey, you live in Cleveland. Does the rest of the state support it? They have to vote on this. I don't think they really care, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, it just makes no difference, which might help this issue because I, I honestly don't think they care. I mean, the only thing that kind of uh, hurts this issue a little bit is a little bit of anti-Columbus uh, view that, uh, you know, once again, Columbus is asking us to do something and, and uh, you know, we don't want to do it. But, I mean, it, it's basically just a change in location. So, I mean, if the Columbus, if the Columbus establishment and Columbus voters want to change their location, I think the rest of the state should give it to them. What are the chances that anti-casino folks in general, not just changing location, come out and and vote on this if the Tea Parties come out. I don't think their message is out there to unify them properly. That's all. I mean, they may come out and vote against it, but it, I just don't think it would be enough. I mean, for one thing, the issue won yeah. in the first place. So yeah. this is just a change of, you know, location. The only location. people who came out against it was the t Toledo Blade. So I think that's the only, and then the, the business roundtable, which is always anti-gambling. The other Ohio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Cleveland Casino it came out in the Plain Dealer this week. They could be delayed by up to two years if you look at the outer, outer reaches of each timetable. Does that play a role? Because again, the, they don't have the obligation to build, they have the right to build these casinos. You know, it was interesting, uh, Penn National had their property all sewn up in, in, in the arena district before, you know, they went to the ballot. And I'm, I'm curious about the fact that they didn't have this sewn up. There's a lot of, looks like it's complicated and there's going to be some problems. I mean, they're putting it off a whole year, at least. Yeah. Uh, there is talk of, because you, work, you yes, worked on that yeah, campaign, there is talk yeah, of a temporary exactly. casino up there. Well, actually, um, it was always going to be 2012. They've now pushed it back to 2013. They're still looking at possibly uh, phase one, as they call it, temporary casino in the old Higby building on Public Square. Um, it's a difficult site. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's got a lot of complications um, in terms of building it, in terms of, you know, moving some things around, in terms of the infrastructure. So I, I think that uh, they're not looking at just flat land somewhere. Um, and uh, so I think a lot of it has to do with, and I know a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's, it's a difficult site to build on. I think the biggest impact is going to be the fact that that revenue that the casino is going to generate is going to be pushed back even farther and that's obviously going to affect the state budget in, in a big way. So I think that's the biggest thing that, that they're going to have to deal with. Did anybody else find it ironic that in the dispatch on Friday they reported that one of the possibilities for helping bail out Nationwide Arena is to use casino tax money? So they would get ca tax money from the casino they didn't want as a neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think it is a great idea. <laughs> it's I, I, it's I, perfect I like for this it. story like because it's it. all this. Does you the know. worm has turned and had a problem? That worm is a knot. Casino money to bail out the. Well, I mean, overall, casino good. Casino good on the west right, side. Suddenly, right. there's no talk about prostitutes on every street right. corner and drug dealers <laughs> in the Suddenly back alleys. Casino dollars I mean, aren't so it's, bad. It's all yeah. good, you know. That's yeah, right. it's all good now. Well, on the what happens if it fails? What do we expect to happen? Well, I think they'll help, they'll hold it up. They don't want it in the arena district. That, then we go back to the, you know, back to bad.
But we still have it having passed as a constitutional yeah. amendment in the arena district. That will still stand. But they'll try to tie it up. The powers that be will try to tie in it up. In the courts and through other things like that. Zoning, courts. Infrastructure. You know, all kinds of. So you don't believe the rumors is some kind of deal out there, that gentlemen's agreement, that give it your all on this? Because they put up a lot of money to move this. Well, and national has. I mean, yeah. if, uh, I don't think it's going to fail, but it does, I suppose I could go back to the ballot on November and try in November and try again. Yeah. All right. Finally, the third frontier vote. That's issue number one on the ballot. It would authorize the state to borrow $700 million. The state would then take that money and give it to businesses and universities in the hopes that those organizations will start new companies, create new jobs. Bob Clegg, you're working on this campaign as well. Voters said no at first, and they said yes with some road and bridge money. No road and bridge money this time. What, what's going to happen? Well, we're, we're hopeful that people will understand that, you know, th this is meant to, and it has um, created uh, thousands of jobs here in Ohio, and given the unemployment rate that we're at, which is 11%, I think, right, um, we need to, everything that we can do to, to create more jobs here in Ohio. Um, we're, we're going to stress the fact that not only does it create jobs, but it does it without raising your taxes. Because obviously people, many people, believe that they're being overtaxed or taxed to the max already. So uh, we want to make sure people understand that, you know, this is going to create more jobs here in Ohio, and it's not going to cost them any tax dollars doing it. Is it better that this is in May and not in November where the other ones were? I think, were they in both in November the last couple of times? Yes. The previous two times were both in November. Yeah, first, first time it well, organization helps. Well, if it in this loses case. this time, they can put it back yeah. on the ballot again. Yeah. Is what I think it's is going to expire next right, year. Right. So you're right; it gives us a second shot at it, which we won't need. But can I razz Bob? What? And just say <laughs> one phrase: <laughs> corporate welfare. Oh. <laughs> no, this is creating jobs for no. Ohioans. Please, Anne. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> actually, most of this money actually goes to the universities in yes. partnerships with businesses. Yeah. So so, so when people who say that, that's, that is not an accurate term at all, because uh, every major university in this state has been benefiting from this money. And this is an unqualified success. I mean, we have been promised over and over again, Gateway in, in Cleveland was one, or the Arena District was here, and everybody's going to create all these thousands of jobs. This is the first time a real issue really delivered. But some question that economic model that shows that it's led to all these spinoffs. I mean, economists can argue over everything, but they, there's not a uniform agreement that it Some has suggest that the jobs would have been created anyway that without this and that's what you given know, the I environment that Ohio has had people are not over going the to last 10 years Ohio. I don't think we'd be creating that many jobs well and if, if we're going to transition into a new economy which many believe will be the green economy this really is the best program going right now to do that I mean Marianne's right there's and I've been aware of this because I'm working on a series of stories about the green economy and the research this is spurring uh, is amazing. I mean, we're looking at, at turning Russian dandelions into tires and things like that. And uh, without Third Frontier, a lot of this stuff would, wouldn't be happening. That's what but folks argue is that the coasts get the venture capital money. The middle part of the country doesn't, so the government has to step in or through a bond program like this. But we're seeing the bioscience research, we're seeing the polymers at Akron, we're seeing glass and um, and, and wind farms in the Toledo area, I and mean, we're seeing agriculture, I mean, we're seeing it all over the state. Um, 
Well, actually, you know, there, it, in a way it's all over the state, but one of the criticisms of the program is that there isn't a lot of parity, all things being equal, that different parts of the state have gotten mm -hmm. a lot more money, and that has a lot to do with the universities. Well, that's because that's where the research centers are. Right. I mean, this was not supposed to be a peanut butter approach where, you know, I mean, Athens right, but, County but the got the same amount as... Yeah. So yeah. people, you yeah. know, it's not necessarily going to be jobs in their backyard. What about the fear of adding debt? That's a big concern of a lot of voters right now, especially on the federal level, but this adds debt to the state and, and, you know, I'm a person that always talks about debt and getting government <laughs> debt even worse. But, I mean, in this situation, we're not just spending the money and then nothing's coming back. We are creating jobs. Those jobs means individuals will be paying taxes. And it's one way of spending the money and, and going into debt where the debt is then taken care of through increased tax revenue. So it's neutral. Yeah, they say it'll be made up. This last issue will be made up by 2014, that there will, it'll be a, you know, and that's zero rare. something. Yeah. That's rare it's to that, have that, those kinds of debt. I, I, th I think one of the problems with the Tea Party movement, and frankly, some of the, some of Bob's party in, the, in Congress, is that they're saying um, no to progress. You have to make investments in society to reap the benefits, and this is a good investment in society. Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from, panel, from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions. Marianne, you're up first. Well, actually, I'm going right to the third frontier. It will pass. Um, I'm a little concerned with all the school levies on the ballot that it might hurt a little bit, but I think the third frontier, issue one, will pass. Bob? I think we'll see a energized and a bigger than expected turnout for the primary here in Ohio on Tuesday. Interesting. Joe? Uh, I predict that Kathy Collins-Taylor, the um, public safety director, will resign before her Senate confirmation hearings. Okay, I was going to predict that the federal immigration agents would kick it into high gear since uh, Arizona passed that new law, but I was too late. They already have did a roundup in Mount Vernon earlier today on Friday, so uh, they've already gotten started. Okay. And starting next week, we are changing times. WOSU and PBS have a new Friday night news lineup, and to use the baseball metaphor, we're moving up to the number two slot. Washington Week stays at 8 o'clock. We move to 8.30 an hour earlier. The McLaughlin Group stays at 9 o'clock. And then PBS's new show, Need to Know, airs at 9.30. And there you get a look at what's going to be our new look starting next week as well. Of course, you can check all this out on our website. Get the schedules there. Streaming video to each show. A link to our Facebook page and a link to our blog as well. All of that at WOSU.org slash COTR. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.